everybody, welcome to another episode of Everyday Strong with Dr. Michael G. Daniels. This is your host, C.B. Baker. We got another episode of uh, dealing today with Dr. Daniels. Uh, we're going to be talking about COVID-19, the coronavirus, and the disparities with the people dying that's, you know, that's a minority. And it came up, kind of got highlighted last week, Dr. Daniels, with, when people started talking about it. And Dr. Fonchi mm-hmm. um, on the um, coronavirus task force, you know, came back to the podium and I think shocked everybody on stage and, and said something about it. And he was basically saying, long story short, that a lot of the issues with people that's getting the coronavirus in the African-American community is the underlying conditions that we have. Sure. Heart disease, hypertension, and you know diabetes, mm-hmm. and that those underlying conditions is really making it hard for them to treat people that are getting infected with coronavirus. Right. So, what is going on, Doctor Daniels, and what can we do as a society to be able to? curtail this issue because this has been going on for a while we you know black folks have had hypertension you know for a while and heart right. disease for a while it's like what what sure. well you know i i think that you know if you look at like you say if you look at the epicenters right if you look at new york city if you look at chicago uh new orleans um places like that uh atlanta uh or the, the surrounding counties you know around atlanta georgia um it is um the proportion of African-Americans or blacks, which I prefer to call myself black, um, it, it, it's, it's just striking. You know, for example, in Chicago, um, the mayor indicated that um, 60 percent of the deaths in Chicago uh, were, were blacks, with um, the population is only about 30 percent. You know, uh, right. so that, that's that's the numbers are just just, just startling. And, and, and she mentioned um, that the issue is not just a medical issue, but it's a social issue. And that's the, that's the key thing. And, that, and that's what I believe. It's a social issue because it, it relates to um, how we in minority communities have evolved over time because social issues are about evolution and not just about where you are, you know, and making a, an immediate change. It's about evolution. <clears throat> it's about, you know, the, the um, ability to get health care, it's about the ability to, to, to have um, uh, adequate um, nutrition. You know, it's about, you know, properly taking care of your body, you know, and those kinds of things. And so the question then that, 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 that brings, I guess the, the question that we have to ask ourselves, and unfortunately the answer brings sorrow to my heart. And the question is, why is it that we've been in this country so long, but yet we still find ourselves at the bottom? Yeah. You know, why is it that the disparity, the income disparity in our communities is just as great, if not greater than in other communities? You know, when you look at the haves and the and the have nots, you know, why is it that we are uncomfortable supporting um, black businesses? And and why is it that black businesses um, don't cater to us in a way that would make us want to support them? You know, uh, why, why, why is it that our average education level is below those of our white counterparts? Our graduation rates are below our, our white counterparts or our Asian counterparts. Uh, why is it that, you know, prof- professional jobs for us 
are not at the same levels percentage wise as prof- professional jobs for uh, other other groups of people. Uh, that's the, that's the question. And the, the sad answer that we have is that we, we, we cannot always blame it on other people. Yeah. Sometimes we have to look inward and that's what saddens me. That's what brings sorrow to my heart. Yeah. I tend to, I feel the same way that you feel. And I think the answer to some of your questions of why it's because if you take, if you take, um, little Johnny, mm-hmm. And he's and let's say little Johnny grows up in a lower middle in, middle um, income household. Mm-hmm. Little Johnny doesn't know if he's poor or not poor. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know anything, mm-hmm. and he knows barely knows that he's black. Really, let's be real. Like, mm-hmm. so if you grow up in that in that era, mm-hmm. and you don't have any limitations on you, because you yourself don't feel like you have limitations, but after a while, some of the things that happen society wise start kicking in. Mm-hmm. And if you, from mass communications, from television, mm-hmm. you know, if you were, if you set little Johnny down, like back in the day, remember how um, Tommy Jerry was on, like back in the day with Tommy Jerry, I did not, me personally, it didn't click in my head till I got older that the lady that was, Tom and Jerry's mom that you never saw her face was a black lady. Mm-hmm. They changed it over the years because she used to have a black voice. Right, right. You know, but the black voice was like almost demeaning country. You know, it's like, but that stuff seeps in. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, I don't know if it's a, it's not done bluntly anymore, mm-hmm. but it's slipped in a lot. And I could go on. A, a, but, who, but who's at fault for that? I mean, let me put it to you a different way. Um, when I was a kid, and you know, neighborhoods were different than neighborhoods are now. Yeah. When I was a kid, parenting was different than the way parenting is now. My mother taught me that I was black when I was very young. As a matter of fact, she said to us, said to me at one time, and I'm like six or seven years old, she said, I taught you your colors at an early age. So you knew the color of your skin when you were young. Right. Don't ever use it as an excuse anymore. You, you know, so it, it was, I mean, we understood red, black, and green in the seventies yeah. and in the sixties, we understood what, we understood what black power meant. You know, right. I mean, obviously, you know, James Brown sang the song, <laughs> say it loud. I'm, right, black, I'm and black and I'm proud. See, we understood that. I guess what I'm saying is that we've taken two steps forward and four steps backwards as far as community development. You know, when you think about it, um, when I was in college, for example, I had a, an instructor named Dr. Smithy. And, 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 and I turned in a paper and, and I got an A on the paper. And so I was kind of bragging, you know, and he heard me. He said, let me tell you something, fool. He said, you got an A because you were in Norfolk State. He said, if you was at ODU, this wouldn't be an A paper. He said, here, you're heading shoulders above your peers. Over there, you'd be average. He said, let me explain something to you. You're not trying to be the best. You're just trying to be better than the people around you. What he said was very true. Right. Then he said to me, no matter where you go, one plus one is always two. Whether you at Harvard or whether (laughs) you at Norfolk State. (laughs) Right. What he said was so true. We have a tendency to use 
uh, our upbringing as an excuse for not knowing more. A tendency to use the school system that we're in being public for not excelling. As if being in a public school means that somehow math changes. Right. It's not the math that changed. It's that we don't take advantage of that which we are to learn. Now, you think about um, uh, the strides that we made in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and compare them to now. They're totally different. See, back then, when I was a kid, and in the and and and, and, and you didn't look to come out of impar- come out of poverty based on athletic prowess. You didn't look to come out of poverty based on your ability to sing. You didn't look to come out of poverty uh, based on your ability to entertain people. You were taught you come out of poverty based on getting an education. So they would always tell us there are a lot of things they can take away from you but they can't take away your, your knowledge. It can't take away what's in your brain. We don't do that anymore. It's not, that, that's, that's not seen as the way out in, as it, like it used to be. Right. See, that was the push then. But the push somehow became stagnant. So, you know, my, my thing is, what, what's wrong with us as a people? It's not like we, we, we don't know. Why haven't we grown? You know, we often say to know is to grow, right? So why haven't we grown? Why are there still such high poverty rates in our communities? I'm not saying there aren't poverty rates everywhere. Right. But, but why, is, why is it we know that there's such a disparity? One of the things they said was this. One of the reasons why we um, have suffered so much is because they said the jobs that most minorities have put them on the front line. For example, they are the bus drivers. So they, they are there when people are getting in on the bus. They, they are the people working in, in restaurants. They are working at the McDonald's. They're working at the Burger King. So they are still face-to-face with people. So they are catching, you know, they, they are, they're in those service industry positions. They're not in positions where they can telework. That, that's right. the office positions. Right. The question then is, why aren't we? Right. You know, why aren't we in those positions in droves? You know, why, why is it such a disparity between... If, if we are, let's say, 20% of the, pop, of the population, then why are we 60% of those in service? You know, why, why, why haven't we moved forward? You know, I mean, that, that's, I guess, what, what I'm looking at when I say um, uh, there is a generational problem and why haven't we progressed that way? Because it shouldn't be that way. We should be proportionally working at home just like other ethnic minority, other ethnic groups are, you know, yeah. we should have office positions just like other ethnic groups have. Uh, granted, uh, in nursing professions, you know, we should be same, it should be the same kind of ratio. Um, there shouldn't be more black garbage collectors than there are white garbage collectors. Yeah. Proportionally, it ought to be about the same. Right. You know, I guess that's the, that's the thing I'm saying. So whose fault is that? Um, why? And, and let me say this too, because I don't want anybody getting mad at me. I'm not saying that that's not a noble profession, right? You know, my father was a garbage collector. As a matter right. of fact, he retired as one. You know, he he drove a garbage truck. And when they offered to promote him, he turned it down. And I asked him why. He said, because I'm happy with my job. Right. And he looked at me and he said this. He said, if you're doing a job because you have to do the job, you're in trouble. If you're doing it because you like it, there's no need to leave. His point was, and he said this to me, he said, someone has to pick up the trash. Someone has to sweep the floor. 
Someone has to serve the food. He said, but do it because you want to do it, not because you have to do it. Right. That was his whole thing. But I'm saying many of us are doing it not because we just want to. We're doing it because that's our only opportunity. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm wondering. Why are we still there in 2020? Well, I, f- I kind of felt like in the past couple of years with the entrepreneurial thing really kind of taking hold of people. Mm-hmm. The, and then with social media, with the information that people are out there giving, like the information is out there for like you know, running the business and you know trying to do quote unquote a side hustle mm-hmm. and, and, and doing things like that. Where I felt like before the Corona thing hit that, you know, things was moving in the right direction. Of course, people like going to get creating an LLC, going into real estate, you know, doing different things along with the job that they have. So where they have other options, if you don't like your job, you can go maybe go do something else. Mm-hmm. Now, along with that, I will say that I think part of the problem, too, is my own generation. Generation X. Mm-hmm. never grew up mm-hmm. because the reason I say that is why in the world did Avengers Endgame be the highest grossing movie of all time. That's based off a comic book. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I look at myself, like I say, yeah, yeah, I couldn't wait for the movie to come out. Yes. I want, yes. I want to see uh captain America and Iron Man. You know, this is all stuff I want to see. But if I was to ask, you, Dr. Daniels, mm-hmm. I'm 42. Mm-hmm. At 42, the 42-year-old Dr. Daniels, would you be like, oh, I can't wait to see Avengers? You'd be like, Absolutely well, not. Right. I, was, I was not. <laughs> right. and, and in fact, I can tell you that when Ninja Turtles came out, there was only one reason why I went. Right. And that was to take myself. Take, right. <laughs> you know, so that's part, I believe part of the issue is Generation X, but everybody wants to blame the millennials. Like, oh, they don't want to do nothing. You know, they're late. They want stuff to come to them because of the dot-com, you know, situation. Well, well, they do, though. They do. But you're right. It's Generation X problem. Right. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm agreeing with you. Here's why. There is a generation that did not believe in hard work. There's a generation that believed they are entitled. And they pass that on to their offspring. There's a generation that believes that everything should happen in a microwave format, that you should be able to get it right now, you know, and, 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 and it should be well done when you get it. (laughs) Right, Right. Right. And they pass that on to their offspring. So what you see then is that the millennials are, uh, they are a byproduct of the X generation, you know, because that's who grew them up. They looked at the X generation and, 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 and oftentimes see the X generation looked at baby boomers and saw where baby boomers were, but they did not understand how they got where they were. Right. Because if you think about it, if you look at, you know, the demographics, if you look at the, the census data, as far as incomes in, 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 in the black community, the baby boomers have the wealth. That's where the wealth is at. Now the X generation accumulated wealth, from the baby boomer generation, mm-hmm. but the baby boomer generation was the generation that, acu- that, 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 you know, that originally, be, be, you know, was that wave of, right. you know, we're buying homes and we're, you know, we're buying property and, and you know, and we're, we're becoming professionals and their children were the beneficiary of all that. Right. Then what, what, from that point on, 
there became a, a more relaxed attitude and a feeling of entitlement. So no one thought about how the baby boomers got what they got. Right. That it wasn't an overnight success. Because yeah. I can remember, I can remember being in college and, you know, you, you know, around the sophomore years start thinking about an actual major. And it was like, well, I'm going to be this major because you're going to come out making this amount. So it was like, everybody just knew, oh, you you be an engineer, mm-hmm. you know, in Texas area, you're going to be forty five to $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And if you became a school teacher in Texas, it's anywhere between, depending on where, what school district sure. you're in, it was uh, thirty six to $40,000 a year mm-hmm. out the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, so people was like, okay, I want to be this. Like you said, microwave, I want to be at $50,000 a year. And then the reality hit when they got out of college, it was no jobs. And then it's like, then the jobs that was available was entry level marketing jobs that you saw in the newspaper, you know, back at, back when they had, you know, back page was out. You had like, you look back there for jobs. It's like, okay, the marketing, you go to office building and you, it's okay. Here's entry level. Right. Or you sold Cutco knives. You know, it's like, it was, it was disparate, but I get what you're saying. Part of that, because I was part of that generation, because I graduated high school in 96, mm-hmm. and I graduated college in 2001. The dot-com situation did not help Generation X at all, because everybody found out that you can almost become rich overnight if you just did, you well, know. Well, back up for a minute. Think about the people that are more susceptible to death because of the coronavirus. They're not the college graduates. No. They're the non-college graduates. Right. The question is, why are they not better? You follow, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. It's why are they not better? Why are so many people in our community still being left behind? Okay. Um, and, and that's what I'm, I'm driving at. You know, what, what is it about our culture that, that so many people, what is it about our culture that when children come to school, they don't feel compelled to be A students? Yeah. That, that they, they, they are comfortable getting C's. Is it comfortable getting D's. But is it, because, is it because the parents are working labor jobs that don't require those type of those things that's being taught in I school? Just, I just told you my father was what? A garbage la- collector. Garbage collector. Right. And I was an A student. Okay. So that <laughs> kind of debuffs that, right. right? Now, my mother was a professional. She was a nurse. But my mother worked 3 to 11, which meant she was not home when I came home. Right. So which meant still that wasn't, you know, right. it. But, but they, instill certain, they instill certain things within us. Like work the, 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 Right. The teachers instill certain things in us as well. Uh, we didn't get stuff for nothing. See, my parents did not, my parents did not celebrate a C. My parents didn't celebrate a B. In fact, my parents didn't celebrate an A. They expected you to get it. You know, my mother would say this. Anybody can get a C. Just sign your name on the paper and turn it in. Yeah. <laughs> now, that might not have been true. That's what she would say to right. us. You know, I expect, see, their expectation was an A. Their expectation was not a, a, a C or a D or something like that. Parents now will fight for their children's entitlements more than they will fight for their children's to be educated. 
In other words, I'm saying this. If, if, if a parent today comes into the school system because they have a parent teachers conference, they come in with a chip on their shoulders yeah, as if their child is right. And the teacher is wrong. Yeah. Parents in my day, yeah, it, that did not work. You know, you as a child, you know, it was like you were wrong. I don't care what was going on. If the teacher said this was going on, that's what was going on. There was no parent coming in defending the child saying, well, yeah, well, your little Johnny might be getting a C, but you are a bad teacher. Now, was your in your generation, was your teacher black? Yeah. But what they got to do with the price of tea in China on Thursday? Because I guess you got. It's not like that now. You have, you don't, the teachers are not looking like the students. That, didn't, that, that doesn't matter. What they got to price it, do to price teach. When I first went to work, my first, <laughs> my first supervisor was not black. Right. But I, I was, I, at that time, I was 13 years old. But for, I'm talking about for the parenting now. You do, so you don't, you don't believe there's racism? In, I, I think you're making a mistake because you assume there wasn't racism then. At the school? No, no, it doesn't matter. See, remember what I told you? See, one plus one is two. I don't care who teach you. Right. I don't care whether you're white or black. The books don't change. Yeah, that's true. I don't care whether you're white or black. If a parent don't know that two plus two is equal four, the parent is, is the problem. If my child comes home and they got homework. Right. And I don't know that they didn't know the material. See, I don't blame the teacher. Right. I blame me as a parent. Because I should have known before the report cards came out right. how smart my child was. See, I believe that's a part of the problem is that we always want to blame somebody else for our failures. And I don't think we should do that. Yeah. I think we're beyond blaming other people for our failures. It's time for us to blame ourselves for our failures so we can improve. If I keep blaming somebody else, I'm expecting the other person to change. But what if they don't change? How long are we going to say, well, there's racism? Do you really think that back in the 60s there was not racism? Right. You think in the 70s there were not racism? <laughs> Yeah. Now, schools were integrated when I was in the third grade. So guess what that meant? From the third grade up, it was integrated. Right. That means in the fourth grade, there were white teachers. Right. That meant that from that point on, I was being taught by white and black. So that's what I told you. My mother said to me, I taught your colors when you were young. Right. Don't ever use black as being an excuse because you know you are black. Do you think when schools were first integrated that we did not face racism greater right. than your generation? Oh, no, I know it was greater. I know. See, back then, the white teachers were openly, right. y'all sit in the back. Right. You know, openly telling you to sit in the back of the class. They were openly, you know, uh, biased as far as how fast they were seeing you to the office. It was openly biased. Now it's not as covert, but it, back then it was overt. So I'm saying... That's, I think, a part of the problem. So how do we get, how do we get past, because I, I know that's the majority of, like, when I'm in conversations, we talk, you know, because I got kids, we have conversations about high schools and, and how the faculty treats the students. The first thing that come up is, you know, are they treating the black kids right? What's, you know, are, are they, disp you know, disproportionate on, you know, if the black kid does something, you know, they're sending them to the office, like, on, like trying to create a behavior when there isn't one. Well, here's what I say to anybody. Number one, I cannot act as if I'm wrong just because someone else was wrong. 
See, if, if, if my child breaks a rule and you discipline him, I cannot get mad and say, well, the white child, you did not discipline because that doesn't make my child right. I see. I right. think that's a part of the problem right. is that we will say things like that. Well, you didn't discipline the white child. So why are you disciplining the black child? Okay. It's true. It's not equal, but life is not equal. Right. You have, see, we have to teach our children to grow up in the real world, not in the false world. The reality is life isn't equal. The reality is if a white, if a cop pulls you over, oh, yeah. you're more apt to get shot than the white man. Yeah. So we have to teach our ch- children reality. I know a lot of black folk are not going to agree with me on this, and that's okay, but it's, 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 re- it's real, you see. So my point being is this. If your child only learns how to read when they get to school, they are behind already. Yeah. My mother taught me how to read before I got in school. She, I knew my multiplication tables up through 10 before I was in the first grade. Okay? Right. That's what I learned. Right. So I taught my children the same way. They knew how to read before they got in the first grade. I started teaching them multiplication tables myself because I wasn't going to leave it up to the teachers to do it. Right. I'm not saying the teachers couldn't do it, but it's still my job. I can't advocate my job as a, as a parent. Right. It is my job as a parent to ensure that my children have the intellectual understanding they need to survive. That's my job. That's a part of what I am as a parent. So how do we instill that belief that you had when you was raising your kids? How do we get generation? Now we might as well say what's out there? X Z, right? Generation Z. Yeah. Right. Generation Z, the ones now having kids and raising kids. Cause I had my kids late. So how do we get generation Z to say, okay, we got to wake up out of this fog and stop Stop what we're doing, and then now we can make a strides forward with, you know, this upcoming generation. I, I will say this: See, I think sometimes when when God moves, we gotta we gotta look at why God does what He does. You think about what happened between March and will happen between March and June in, in the state of Virginia, when the school system has said that we're closed for the rest of the year. Now, how many parents are? requiring the school to virtually teach their kids and how many parents are saying, I'm going to teach my kid. See, that's, that's a dynamic there, right there that, that we aren't capitalizing on. See, every parent right now ought to use this time to not wait on the school system, but to say, you know what, let me go online and see what's what, what, what the curriculum is. And let me make sure that I'm teaching my child. We shouldn't rely on virtual uh, teaching. That, to me, is just the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard of. I'm not saying it cannot be effective. I'm saying we shouldn't rely on it. Parents right now should be having class with their children. They should be teaching. their. Ch- you're home with them. Why not teach right. them while you're home with them? This is a, a great opportunity. And you can give them hands-on stuff. See, now I can teach my child botany. Because I can get uh, a seed and plant it and explain cellular growth and all those kind of things. I can do that with my child. Right. Look at how advanced my four, my four-year-old or my six-year-old or my eight-year-old will be if I'm teaching them botany hands-on. You know, see, I can do those kind of things. I can take my child to the park with a pair of binoculars and I can look at the animals and the birds and all the, you know, I can do that kind of stuff with my children now. So it's hands-on stuff. I can sit them down and, 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 and let them go through the Smithsonian virtually 
and let them experience the, you know, the zoo through and, and talk about the difference between vertebrates and invertebrates and, you know, and all those kind of things. I, right. as a parent, can do it. I ought to be using this as an opportunity to educate my child. I ought to be focusing on nutrition with my children. You know, I, I ought to not be taking my children to McDonald's and Burger King all the time. You know, the reason why blood pressures are shooting through the roof is because of how we we have been. Yeah. Uh, 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 we we have hurt ourselves by letting fast food become the order of the day for our children. You yeah. know, we have allowed our children to you know become obese and all you know all these kind of things which lead to problems. See, we in my generation, you couldn't get fat. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you just couldn't get fat because number one, you work, you, you had to work, and the parent won't go and just keep feeding you behind. Right. You know, we, I grew up. You know, my mother might not like me saying this, but I grew up poor. Okay. There was no second helping. Yeah. It was eat what's on the table or eat nothing Man, my, at my all. My kids are running <laughs> like I can't keep the pantry full. I was like, what happened to your school stomach? Because you ain't you weren't eating all day when you was at school, but now you at home eating all day. What that's what I'm saying. So it's like, well, when we see nowadays cooking for children is like being at a restaurant. What do you want for dinner? Yeah. What do you want? No, my mother would cook and she would say, if you get hungry enough, you'll eat it. You'll eat it. And if you didn't eat it at a certain time, she put the food away. Yeah. That was it. You were done. And so, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, I, I mean, of course, I'm pushing when I say you couldn't become overweight. Of course you could. Right. But I'm saying, if you think about generationally, as a generation, we are becoming more and more overweight because of the way we are. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, diabetes going up, you know, heart disease, you guess, you know, younger people have heart disease than ever before. Younger people get diabetes and more, you know, those kind of underlying conditions that make us more susceptible to problems when things happen. It's because we have placed ourselves there. You know, we, we, we're, we're, we're not chitlin people anymore. Right. We're not pig feet people anymore. It's not like we're still eating those kinds of foods. In Chicago, you're not eating a lot of chitlins and 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 you know and pig feet and hog right. malls and oxtails. Right. That ain't why they got high blood pressure. It's McDonald's and Burger King. Right. You know. That's right. It, it's it's those kind of places that's causing it. So in actuality, in our generation, we ate more vegetables because that's what you ate. Right. You ate a bunch of vegetables, you know, because it was cheaper than meat. We ate beans, which are high in protein and high in fiber. Yeah. We ate beans every meal almost, you know. So I think generationally, we have, that's why I say we took two steps forward and four steps backwards. How do we change? We, we have to substantially regroup and make decisions individually about our future. I just say we have to stop blaming people. I, I'm, I, I get so tired of hearing people come to me talking about, what the teacher did or the teacher didn't do what the principal did what the principal didn't do. Yeah. You know, stop blaming people. Uh, you know, make the change. You know, one thing when, um, when all this stuff went down, my kids was in private school and um, I was like, well, I went to, I ended up going to school and withdrawing them. And I talked with the principal man to man. I said, look, this is the reason why we're moving them out of the school. It has nothing to do with your school. School's great. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, but I paid for the school for them to be here. Right. I'm not going to pay you to virtually teach them, but it's me teaching them. 
It sure. makes no sense. If right. I'm teaching them, like, why would, like, why would I do that? And plus, the public school, I don't have to pay for it. Right. Now, hold on a second. If you're watching this podcast. <laughs> I knew you were going to say your that. your kids are at EBC Academy. <laughs> uh, don't take your kids out of school. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. <laughs> but I also told a guy, I told the principal, I was like, my daughter gets some worksheets. She's able to do the worksheet without watching the video. Mm. I said, and there's no need for me to sit and put a 40 minute video in front of her if she already knows know how to do the worksheet. Right. He says, his way to, well, the, the video helps them learn for the next lesson. I gave her the next lesson. She was able to do it. Mm-hmm. It's like, she can move faster than this. But then this one, it hit me. It's like, we don't need to, like, you're slowing her down to keep to stay at the same pace as everybody else. Which is understandable, and I understood the, the plight that that the school had. You know, they was throwing something that they wasn't expecting to have happen. Right. And I explained that to them. I was like, hey, I understand, but hey, I know you understand my position. So, but that's the type of stuff that I don't think parents do a lot of. Is well, going and talking. Well, you all are unique. Now I'm saying why. Yeah, remember. Um, that's why I say, see, because you're not in the position of the Chicagoans, the, the DC people, right. you're, you're not in that position. You know what I mean? It's a whole different ball game. You know, they, you're upper middle class right? and they're below poverty. <laughs> Their kids weren't in private school. And, and so, you know, you're college educated, your wife's college educated. So you all are teaching your children already. But isn't that similar to the excuse that you just gave? No, no. What I'm saying is this. I, I'm trying to keep from comparing apples to oranges, but I'm keeping apples to apples. Okay. Right. You could, you could take your kids out and keep going because of where your kids were anyway. The average parent that has their child in public school, right. That child cannot function without instruction. See, you can't just give that child a worksheet and that child do the worksheet and do the lesson that's ahead. Right. Because that average child is behind anyway. Like, you know, my wife worked in public school. Right. Those children were not where your kids are. You know, you have to explain everything to them for the most part to get them to complete what they're doing. You have to explain everything. They they can't go to the next level because they don't know the next level yet. They haven't gotten there. That's what I'm saying. That's that's that comparison. Sure. If let me say this, if everyone did what you and your wife did, there wouldn't be a disparity. You're right. 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 There wouldn't, because you all are doing what I'm suggesting. Right. But I'm just saying. That's the and that's the problem in Chicago. That's the problem in D.C. That's the problem in you know in New Orleans when when you're at poverty. The things generational poverty is the problem, right? When you have generational when when people aren't pulling out of it. When Mama was on Section Eight and now daughter is on Section Eight, you know that you know that kind of thing. Um, and that's what I'm saying. You know, we 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 got to get out of that generational. Poverty. We're going to raise the expectations. Right, 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 right. You we got to move beyond where we are and get to another level so that that, that next level is, is not reliant upon food stamps. That, that next level, uh, when they talk about, for example, people, how many people um, were late on rent this time around? Right. Well, why? How is it that you can, how is it you've been in the workforce? for 15, 20 years, and you don't have enough savings to cover your rent for the next month. Yeah. 
And and if you get, well, how is it you still living paycheck to paycheck? Because if you, if you didn't make your rent, that meant you were relying on this week's paycheck to pay your rent for the month. Right. When you should have already had that money set aside. Right. That, that's what I'm talking about is how, how, how can we still be at that point in our lives where we don't plan to live beyond one month? Yeah. Some of it too, though, Dr. Dan, some of it was, because I know the thought crossed my mind. Well, all this stuff going on. Man, what, what would happen if I just didn't pay rent? What would happen? You know, and, and then you have, it, it, don't, it don't help the situation when you have governors and the politicians talking about, you know, it's going to be hard for people to pay their rent. It's going to be hard, you know, like making it a, a speech. And then I'll say, well, you know what? Even though I got this $600, I could pay rent, but this $600 could go to something else. Or I can get that mattress I've been wanting to get and it's not pay the rent. You know, so you got people, but it, it takes a disciplined person. No, it takes a wise person. I, 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 yeah, it takes it, a wise it, it person. It takes a fool to buy a mattress rather than pay rent. <laughs> so I'm I just saying. Say. But I'm saying, I, I said a mattress, but I'm saying it could be anything. Because, you know, people have done it. People blow their rent going to the club. No, I get it. And that's my point. You, 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 it, you, you are echoing exactly why I cry at night. And I, when I say cry, I, I, I mean literally. You are echoing why I'm hurt at night. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a verse in Proverbs, the first chapter, that says that more knowledge brings more sorrow. Because the more you know about your people, oftentimes it makes you so sad. The fact that people do what you said right. saddens me. And I'm just my point. Why, what is it about us that we value tennis shoes more than we do technology? Yeah. That will help us get somewhere. What is it about us that we care more about a seven-year-old having an iPhone, uh, what's the latest 11. model, 11, than we do about putting a book in his, his or her hand? Right. What is it about us that that's how we view life? Something is wrong because we have become, as, as was pointed out in, in history a long time ago, we have met the enemy. And it is us. Right, it's in the mirror. Yeah, we are, that's what I'm saying. When are we going to be responsible for our own future? When are we going to start relying on other people and blame other people? Just because they say they're going to forgive you paying your rent. Right. So wh why would you still not pay it if you have the money? Right. It's going to still come due. So let's say they forgive you. Forg I, mean, I, say, they, I shouldn't say forgive. They didn't say forgive. Right. They said that you just wouldn't be put out. Right. So let's say you don't pay your rent in June, right? You don't pay it in July. And then they say, okay, time is up. Now, August, I know th I owe three months rent. And you know but, you ain't got the but money. But I ain't got the money because I spent this somewhere else. Right. That's what I'm saying. Well, if you know you owe the person, pay the person. Right. Because that person needs their money because they still got to pay the mortgage on the building. Right. And, and I guess I mean, that's the thing that I'm, I'm serious. When I say it literally makes me cry at night, it, it really saddens me beyond what you might really believe when I think about our conditions. Like, why are we still there? You know, why? I mean, come on, let's face it. You and I are no more smarter than anybody else. Right. It, it, you know, it, that's bottom line. Yeah. It, it's not like the person that's living in low-income housing is intellectually stunted. Right. That ain't it. 
it's, 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 the, it's this how someone has established priorities, mm-hmm. you know, because I didn't grow up like you grew up. I don't know how your father grew up because your father and I really the same generation. I don't know what his background was, but I know where I grew up at. You know, right. my mother and father were divorced. When my mother moved to Norfolk, we lived in what we called the ghetto because it was, you know, uh, a, a slum. We right. lived in a slum, you know. And 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 um, when I was in elementary school, we had food cards, you know. So we were low income because we got free lunch. Right. When I was in junior high school, I got a food card. That meant what? Someone said we were at or below poverty because right. I got free lunch. Right. But that didn't mean I was going to stay that way. Yeah. You know, and I didn't come out of poverty because I was an athlete. I didn't come out of poverty because I was an entertainer. I didn't come out of poverty because of that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not a billionaire by no stretch of the imagination, but I came out of poverty. Right. You know, if, 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 if I got no income today, not $1 came into me today, I would still be able to keep my standard of living until this thing was over with. Doesn't make me any smarter than anybody else. It just means the way I view life and the way I view future may be different than some. So you think? Do you think that? Well, okay. This situation may have really highlighted the financial illiteracy that people have. Financial, social, and nutritional literacy. Right. You know our 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 health problems are not all based on lack of funding because people that are on the low echelon, they get um, SNAP, which is, you know, they, they, they get uh, vouchers or right. cards for um, food. It's not a question they don't have the money for food. It's a question, what, what do you buy with it? Right. Do you buy healthy foods? Yeah. You know, do you still, ex- if you don't, let's say, for example, that you are, in a situation through no fault of your own where, you know, you're, you're a young woman, you're 25, you got two cute kids, the father, the child walks out, he leaves you. So now you're, you're in low income housing, you're getting section eight. So you're not paying rent. Uh, you get, you're getting um, some assistance, financial assistance, and you're getting um, what we used to call food stamps. You're in a food car. Okay. Now, so you, you, you can't work because someone has to be there with the children. Fine. I'm all for that. What does that have to do with poor health? Right. See, nothing. Because what? I can, just because I'm sitting at home and don't have to work, don't mean I can't go out and walk. Right. It don't mean I can't buy healthy food for me and my children. So our, our health does not decline just because we don't have uh, income. Now, that means that we're probably on Medicaid. So that means we still have some access to, to health. Now, right. you know, so there are people that, that don't have access because they are working and maybe mean, I can't get Medicaid. Right. But, but that don't, no, that just means I can't seek health care. It doesn't mean I have to be unhealthy. It's the difference so, between having access to health yeah. and being unhealthy. So basically what you're saying is we need as individuals, you got to take your, take a look at yourself individually and say, okay, what is it that I'm doing or not doing that's got me in this predicament? Or this, you know, situation I'm in during this COVID nineteen, you know, era. Because, you know, you know as well as I know, like we're here today, but you know, tomorrow, I'm gonna be at home. You know, I'll work for about three, four hours, and I was like, okay, 
what can I watch on TV? Or I take my son out in, in the front yard, go play basketball. You know, it's like, you know, you, you got time. Right. What I'm saying is that COVID-19 just, it, it, it shed light on what we all have known for years. Yeah. That we have not elevated ourselves. See, we can clean our front yards up. We don't have to throw trash around. Mm -hmm. We can make sure that the trash can lids are covered up so the rat population does not explode in our neighborhood. Right. You know, we can make sure that there are not uh, buildings that are abandoned. And so uh, it becomes, uh, shoot, shoot, you know, shoot up houses for heroin addicts. Right. You know, we can make sure that our neighborhoods are uplifted. We know that we know the blight in our neighborhoods, yeah. but we also know that we as a community accept it. Yeah. You know, we can stop saying that we will accept, you know, this kind of living situation. We can make a decision right. that you can't do it in our neighborhood. Right. You know, we're, we know who, if, if there are gangs in the neighborhood, we know who they are. Right. You know, we know who's selling the drugs. We can say not in this neighborhood anymore. We're not going to keep allowing you. To, to bring our kids un, under this kind of uh, um, uh, brutality. Right. Uh, that's what I'm just saying is that it's not COVID-19. Right. It, it's just that this, you know, kind of highlighted where we are. And, and I'm just thinking, I'm hopeful that somehow we will just become responsible and, and mitigate it and remove it. Yeah. But, you know, you mentioning that reminded me when I was in Barbados, we, um, me and my wife was going to this club. It was a good little, it was like a 40 minute ride. Mm -hmm. I was talking to the cab driver and I was like, like, man, it was literally grass growing out of the um, drains. So I said, what's going on with the grass growing out the drains? They don't clean this. He said, well, the government is taking the tax money that we are technically paying for this to be done, but the government is so corrupt they're using it for something else. They did not hire the people back to do this. Like clockwork. We crossed this little area. You know how it is. And you know, you go from the hood to the rich neighborhood, all of a sudden drains is clean. The you know, sidewalks is edged up, you know, where uh, Rihanna, her, her new house is at. Mm -hmm. We saw that. It's like, it's all immaculate and everything. Like you, like you two different places. Right. Right. in Portsmouth. Saw the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, now what's the excuse for Portsmouth? Like there's trash on the side of the road. Now I, you know, it's trash. It's, it's like we threw, we threw that trash out the window. Right. Or left the lid off the, off the top of the uh, trash can, let the trash fly off, you know, in the streets. It's like a lot of times with what we need to start doing, say, okay, we need to take care of home first. And then I can't tell you how many houses I've been in that was in the projects and I'm walking past dirt, trash and everything. I walk in the house, the house is immaculate on the inside. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, you know, you go to a nice family house, it's like, where did this come from? They figure out a way to hang the big screen TV on cinder blocks. You know, mm -hmm. it's like y'all can figure this out. And I've been to multiple houses in this, in this particular project out, you know, it's, I'm not going to say where it's at. Mm -hmm. And it was nice. Mm -hmm. But outside, you're throwing your trash out in the front yard. Mm -hmm. It made like it made no sense. You know, it's like it's like why do y'all want? Why do people choose to live like that? 
and and that to me and that that's that was the question I was raised when we first started out is that what is it about our culture that we accept mediocrity right what is it about our culture that we've gone from being proud of our neighborhoods because we, when I grew up, we were proud of our neighborhoods to where we are now, where we take no pride, where we don't care. You know, how do we get to that point where, you know, if, if a child is, you know, drinking a soda, they'll just, you know, if it's a glass, they'll just take the glass bottle and just break it in the street for fun. And no one says anything. Right. You know, how have we gotten to that point where people just won't cut their grass? You know, you can live in a poor neighborhood and still have it clean and still have it looking immaculate right. because flowers don't cost a lot. Nope. You know, it don't take a lot to cut your grass. It don't take a lot to do those kind of things. It don't take a lot to pick trash up and put it in the trash can. Right. So, uh, and I'm saying, when you think of the, a lot of the diseases that we have, they're not based upon the fact that you need to have a million dollars. It's based upon how we pattern our style of life. Now, granted, they're going to always be, I think there will always be racism in this country. There will always be a disparity as far as who, the, wealth, the wealthy and the, the, the non-wealthy. But that doesn't mean that we can't still take care of ourselves. That doesn't mean that just because I'm not wealthy, that I have to always have those underlying conditions that we equate to uh, social, uh, social economic disparities. Um, my grandfather um, lived to be uh, 94 years old. He wasn't rich. Right. He didn't even have health insurance. My father's aunt lived to be almost 100 years old. She wasn't rich. She didn't have health insurance. I have an uncle that right now is 99 years old. He wasn't rich. He isn't rich. Right. You know? My mother... Uh, you know, I probably won't. Wow, I'm going to tell her age. My mother is 90 years old. And guess what? She isn't rich. You know? It, it, so it's not about money all the time. Right. It's about taking care of yourself. It's about li- developing a lifestyle where you take responsibility rather than blaming other people. You know, you make yourself a committee of one. Right. You keep your front yard clean. Don't blame your neighbor. Keep your front yard clean. Keep your trash empty. Make sure your children are, are, are well-mannered. Make sure your children, when they go to school, they don't fight. Make sure your children don't, don't, don't back, give, give back talk or talk back to the teacher in a negative way. Right. Make sure that your children's homework is done, that they know the answers and that they always are ahead of the game, that they read rather than sit in front of the TV all the time. You you make it your personal responsibility. So it's not about where you live at. It's about how you live where you are at. Yeah, that is true. Wow. Well, we that was a long one. So <laughs> anything you'd like to bring before we close out? No, I, listen, I'm just glad to be here again. Just want to tell people, hey, listen, continue sending us your feedback. I sure enjoy getting it. And, and I, just, I just love it. I, I love the good and the bad. Anything you say negative, I take it in. Anything to say positive, I take it in. And I like to say this too. If your kids are going to the EBC Academy, please keep right. them in school. Right. Don't take your kids out. Right. <laughs> keep them kids in school. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is your old CB Baker. Till next time. Peace.